0: Hi, welcome back to The CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor of CIO Australia. In this episode, we get into the vexed topic of shadow IT. Of course, much of the discussion on this is focused on the cyber and other risks associated with staff bringing in apps and accessing cloud platforms, often without knowledge, let alone permission of CIOs and other tech leaders. But for many staff, especially those whose jobs demand higher levels of collaboration and communication, there's no doubt they've become a powerful tool, even more so during the pandemic this year. Our first guest on this episode of the CIO Show is Deloitte's Robert Hillard, who's the Chief Transformation Officer for APAC. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Now I understand you see you you view shadow IT as as a shadow that um, that falls a bit further back than um, in time than other people might uh, appreciate.
1: I think we've had people wanting to do technology from outside the technology shop of organisations. Actually, since we've since we've had uh, tech, but certainly, yeah, I think back to the 1990s, yeah. and when PCs when PCs first became really readily easy to buy, you had um, you had executives wanting to you know, bypass the IT department and get their own and, and buy their own PC, sure. and then by the turn of the century, they were trying to buy, uh, they were buying things like Microsoft Access. And yeah. building their own yeah, risk systems, credit calculations. Um, they're building their own customer databases. So it's, it's been going on for a long time.
0: And so this, we, we talked about this previously, this this roguish behaviour um, started out in the financial services space. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I, it, it, it's been amazing. When people have had access to large amounts of data mm-hmm. through really through spreadsheets. they wanted to do more with it. And financial services is where... Yeah, probably some of the most data-intensive businesses outside of IT. you yeah, have been centered. So it's no surprise that we've seen a lot of lot of this in banks and the and the insurance sector. Um. By the way, I love the fact you use the term "roguish" behavior. Uh, yeah, another fra- another phrase. Another phrase might be "innovative" behavior. There's a I reckon there's a really there's a really fine line be- between innovation and roguish. It, it's called innovation if it succeeds. It's called roguish. If it's,
0: um if it fails, if it fails and upsets people, that's right. Well, particularly if it upsets CIOs. So what, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what are your what what's your sort of advice to CIOs these days? Um, you know, look, looking to deal with shadow IT. Of course, it's being it's being recast as as been business managed IT, either um, you know, optimistically or or fairly well. we'll it remains to be seen, I guess, but you know, what what do you what's your advice to CIOs that are you know, grappling with this?
1: It's a really fine line, mm. and, and and this is one of the toughest topics for, for CIOs because how on, on one hand you can become the office of no and just say you want to go and use a cloud technology, uh, you know, even something as simple as Canva as uh, you know for a marketing team who wants to do some design. Should they be going putting the credit card down? and getting the solution in or do you enable and encourage now at one extreme if you just say we're going to say yes to everything or even not even want to know about everything you're just going to end up with information sensitive information distributed everywhere it's going to be out of control mm-hmm. you know all sorts of problems that's not acceptable on the other hand i think every everybody listening to this podcast knows that you can't shut this off that this is um, the future. It's not like you're going to turn around and say every time you create a spreadsheet you have to get the CIO's permission, and you're not going to say every time you're going to use a cloud service mm. of any kind that you're going to demand the CIO's permission. So what's the so what's the answer in between? I actually think we've got the hint in the title, CIO, Chief Information Officer. Yeah. We really need to be focused on governing the information. Yep. Um, and, you yeah, know, if something has information in it, then we've got a responsibility. Uh, in that governance, there's the ability to um, reward, encourage, um, make, enable executives to do more with uh, with their technology, but also understand their increasing responsibilities with that. Uh, because, you yeah, know, with great power comes great responsibility.
0: Indeed, and some something else that, that that strikes me about this this issue is that whilst it is obviously critically important that CIOs have proper visibility and control into all of the systems that they're ultimately you know um, mandated to manage, there does seem to be an element of um, possessiveness or you know there's something sort of proprietary perhaps about how CIOs are, are viewing um, shadow IT, and that maybe. There needs to be a little bit more um, consideration of that. I'm not sure what you think about it's, that.
1: It's really interesting when we look at the role of the CIO um, on executive teams. So we saw, and we actually saw this in, the, in salaries of CIOs as a trend over the last uh, decade. We saw for a period of time that CIO salaries in real terms uh, dropped. for for a period there, and we saw a trend where CIOs were getting pushed down in in organisations. And that was when, effectively, they were being pushed into a niche to say, you're managing the back office technology of our organisation. You're keeping the email running, you're keeping the lights on.
0: You're in the basement, Um, effectively.
1: That's right, and and, and we saw the the rise of a lot of um, of, um, business-managed technology during that time. But we've actually seen it flip back. Yep. We're seeing that, the, uh, that a lot of the digital, customer digital solutions are increasingly sitting and belonging to uh, the CIO. And CIO salaries have gone up substantially at the same time. That's interesting. Um, but, so yeah. of, but so of the skills that are required of the CIO. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the number of staff that report directly to the CIO is not necessarily going up commensurately. And that means that the CIO's influence is extending m- far further out in the organisation. So quite often the CIO is governing people who are who are developing systems, mm. uh, perhaps not with code, but perhaps through configuring cloud solutions, mm. um, but outside of the traditional IT department. So they might be sitting inside marketing and digital marketing teams. They might even be sitting inside finance teams, yeah. um, but they are very much under the governance and the strategic direction of a CIO. And I reckon that's an incredibly exciting opportunity for forward-looking CIOs because, um, it means that, that rather than being weighed down by just the operational, um, yet constant operational drag of trying to keep a large organization running, they're an opportunity to set the, to influence and set the strategic direction of entire companies. Because after all, you know, we've gone from technology enabling business For so many businesses, technology is the business.
0: Yeah, and you see that this this that trend is coinciding with this growth in shadow IT, with with shadow IT being a a a key tool.
1: That's right, and that's the reason why. Even though we're all frustrated when we see shadow systems done badly, when we see business use business areas of business use technology to hide what they're doing, yep. you know, building a database and not properly managing customer privacy or perhaps handling um, credit scores but not uh, but not putting them in a protected place right. or perhaps, uh, you know, lose, actually losing, you know, historical information that a regulator yep. may require. You know, that's, those are really bad examples. On the positive side, you know, I joke, we joked up front about the difference between roguish and innovation. Mm-hmm. On the positive side, what we're seeing is, um, you know, the fantastic use of, you know, cloud technology. I think about things like, uh, you know, companies have emerged like Atlassian and Canva,
2: mm.
1: um, and, um, you know, ServiceNow and so many, uh, so many others, uh, where as a result of direct engagement by business, they've been configured and applied in innovative ways that if you simply collected requirements, did a vendor analysis and then went out to market, you perhaps wouldn't have um, you wouldn't have managed to have enabled or discovered you know, new ways of doing business. I, I remember a time when everyone was when a lot of business executives were proud of being technic uh, you know being technologically illiterate. You yeah, know, it was actually a point of pride to say I know nothing about technology. Someone else will
0: take care of it. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's almost like saying yeah. and I and I don't hang out with those weird guys in the basement.
1: That's right. Yeah. Well, the weird guys in the basement have taken over the building.
0: Oh, they shot the they've, they've taken over a lot more than that, haven't they?
1: <laughs> That's right. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, and it is what I don't see any executives coming through if, who who are proud if they don't understand technology. Yeah. And they want to they want to be engaged and the CIO has such a fantastic opportunity to be uh, to be corralling and enabling, yeah. you know, that that group. So business I you know, business managed technology doesn't mean that the CIO is not heavily, heavily engaged. That, yeah. that That's the opportunity.
0: Mm. And, of course, COVID has brought it to the fore this year, hasn't it? I mean, COVID's probably, you know, of all, of all the events that we could sort of point to in the last several years, COVID is, is probably the main one that has sort of, you know, forced people to think more um, practically about so-called shadow IT, right? Well,
1: one of the best examples, I've got a client that um, uh, was. Have made a huge move across to cloud and to business man- and enabling uh, business managed technology, but putting a lot of governance on the information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you know, we were talking about what had enabled their success. They're a very large organisation, and they had managed to pivot almost immediately to work from home arrangements. Yeah. And yeah, you know, we were talking about the fact that if they had not made the transition that they'd made, the amount of just simple things like the administration of VPN, yeah. the administration of access into the data centers, the administration of the um, of end-user digital technology would have just completely sucked up all of the resources mm. of the IT team. They wouldn't have been able to get it done. Mm. Whereas because it was much more distributed, those people moved rapidly home. And, and, and I compared that to another organization where it was much more centrally managed, mm. And although, you know, there's upsides and downsides during COVID, they experienced really the downsides where they could not fit. They did not have the licensing to enable everybody to work from home at once. And it took, um, it, it, it took them a number of months into the pandemic yeah. to get to where they needed to get to. I think that the, that, that the strength of distributing this, uh, capability, you know, does enable, yeah, you know, does strengthen the, the, um the organization as a whole to deal with unexpected pivots unexpected changes and COVID has yeah. been the most unexpected change and coming out of this mm. what we're seeing is um, what i'd describe as digital muscles that have I been like that. built yeah. <laughs> throughout the, throughout the organization yeah. um, and you can either say i'm going to try and resist people using those newfound muscles or i'm going to try and um, turn those muscles to uh, to innovation in the future direction of the business. So how am I going to... We know that there's enormous value in... Um, suppl- yeah, if I look in uh, businesses with complex supply chains, mm. um, there's data in every aspect of those supply chains. And because people have had to work in new ways, they've often got to you know, direct data feeds from their suppliers of availability, of sourcing parts, of sourcing ingredients from different places. Yeah. And they're using that data in different ways. Um those skills should not, will not be forgotten when the world goes back to something approaching normal. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, we should be trying to encourage them to find innovative ways yeah. to, uh, to keep on doing that. And, and again, the, the I in Chief Information Officer is there for a reason. I think that's a, uh, I, I think far from seeing that as something business completely owns and, and divorced, it's actually something that the CIO should encourage mm. and be directly engaged with. But also meet our responsibilities and make sure that we're meeting our regulatory obligations, making sure it's governed, mm-hmm. making sure it's retained, and all of those things, and and also making sure the intellectual property of the organisation is properly uh,
0: curated. Yeah, indeed, look, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful, and um, a metaphor: digital muscle. And yeah, I th- I'd have to agree with you; it's being um, greatly expanded. Um, Robert, thanks so much for your time. We look forward to welcoming you back on the CIO show again soon. Thank you, David. Joining us now is Kerry Campbell, who's the CIO with Flinders University. Kerry, welcome to the CIO show.
3: Thank you, David. Good to be here.
0: Great. Look, I understand that you've uh, been at the vanguard of a a major um, digital transformation at at Flinders University, and that along the way, um, you quite sensibly taken a fairly preemptive approach to dealing with it. Yeah, so um, when I joined
3: Flinders University, I've been at a previous university, and I understood the business model of a university. It's a bit like Unilever. It has one big company and Mm. many different odd companies underneath. So I brought a new model in to the university sector which was really focused on customer-centric service from IT. And that way what we did was really cut down the shadow IT because we were providing the services that the customer wanted Mm. rather than the services that IT wanted to provide to the organisation. Yep. Um, and that way, we showed value for the organization. We also showed that IT, it's a big cost center, right? There's an organization, IT is usually the biggest um, part of the organization. Mm. So when cost-cutting problems, they're usually hit first, but if we could prov- provide the value yeah. and prove to our customers and to the organization that we're very valuable, then that helps reduce shadow IT. Not to say that there isn't shadow IT happening. Um, it always happens, and it's always quite frustrating when it does. But uh, we we have really reduced it. I think we've got about ninety eight percent centralisation at Flinders University.
0: Sure, but I mean, of course, the system that you were brought in to review and and overhaul has, by all accounts, been you know a fairly unwieldy um, you know hodgepodge of systems and. Um, No doubt you had large numbers of people who really felt they had no no option other than to, you know, download apps and access cloud platforms just to get their jobs done, right?
3: Absolutely. And, you know, we've got a really young cohort of students that we're dealing with who are digital natives and we're a bunch of digital immigrants trying to tell them how to use products and services, which is really interesting. You know, they hack their phones every day. Um, But for, for me, it was really we did have a large legacy base yeah. Um uh you know I would have said it was like IT in the 70s um and it was it was <laughs> making things more enterprise yeah uh because they just sort of things universities are very organic in the way that they 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 grow yeah. and therefore their IT systems are very very disparate this is like just a um,
0: sister a, a lovely euphemism for disorganized isn't
3: <laughs> yeah it is it's a nice way to say or, we're organic <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, and so for me, it was, there was also a business level of maturity as well that was quite low in the university. Yep. IT was really done to them. Um, you know, IT just provided networks and that's all they, they really valued. Yeah. Um, and I had to bring in a really different way of thinking where IT actually became their business partner. Mm. Um, we, we created, uh, business centric IT governance groups, which means that on the governance group, it's all my customers and 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 one IT person to, to, to foreshadow the IT roadmap. And our IT roadmaps aren't IT roadmaps, they're business outcomes. Right. So it's a very different way of thinking
0: and working in IT. Which is what this discussion where this discussion really is moving, isn't it, from shadow IT to, to business managed IT. I suppose it's fairly safe to assume that universities have you know, larger, perhaps larger proportions of, of younger people. Not just talking about students, of course, but but yep. within the staff. Did you feel? Do you feel that there was even more pressure to you know manage and accommodate use of shadow IT in, in your in your experience at Flinders?
3: Well, yes, because um, you know, there's brain computers and wind computers at, at at universities and a whole array of really different individual. Packages of work, mm. but I don't want to touch that because that's really that's really the researcher's part. What I wanted to do was bring in all the IP that was corporate, was enterprise, mm. and make sure that they were getting good value for that across the whole entire organisation, rather than just thinking about one college or one sector that just decided to have someone in their in their team that had a little bit of IP knowledge and worked with a vendor and tried to start something up. Yep. I really wanted to make sure that we stamped that out because that that was Hugely expensive in the organisation, mm. and you know, those guys would come to us and then say, "Oh, can you integrate this for us because we didn't know how to talk to X, Y, and Z." Yeah, and that's a really annoying way to deal with IT because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know they've gone and made something for themselves and they're trying to enterprise it, which usually costs three times as much to undo.
0: Sure, is the is the integration issue less of a problem now? I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot more apis as much wider availability of apis is that is that making this job easier and perhaps leading you and your your team to think a little differently less uh, be less um uh, shadow it averse
3: <laughs> absolutely i think um that's creating you know plug-and-play systems instead of having the old SOA systems that were really heavyweight and really industrial we've now got um middleware systems that are very light and very easy to use um using apis to connect All the different software services. Mm. So instead of looking at the old systems and vendors and saying, "Well, at least we can do eighty percent," and then we we'd configure the twenty percent, and then you'd be stuck with that product forever. We're now using products which we can plug in through APIs, Mm. connect and talk to other systems, and we end up creating ecosystems. You know, a teaching ecosystem, a learning ecosystem, a recent ecosystem, and that means we can get the best of breed and use those and propel the organization forward rather than being stuck to a particular product.
0: Do you, do you think this process of, of accommodating um, shadow IT, of course we're talking about apps and cloud platforms, has changed how you view your core systems internally?
3: I think so, absolutely. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I'm a pretty um, good, uh, I'm a component a proponent of innovation. So I remember there was, yeah you know, and, and a component, got, yes. <laughs> And component, yes. Yeah. Um, so we look at our enterprise system and try and make them as robust as possible so mm. people, they just use them naturally. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I engage in some of the academics and researchers who are doing a really interesting thing. I remember once there was this product called Quitch. This uh, math professor was using it to try and gamify accounting, mm-hmm. trying to get a better pathway. And I talked to him about it. I said, Oh, uh, he's using quit and he's like yeah but you can't stop me I'm like well I don't want to stop you uh, if, <laughs> did, he, did it, he say it like that yeah <laughs> he did he was like you can't stop it was me just, can't it almost sounds it. like
0: he was jumping out the window at the time as he was saying it <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah well, he was, and he was really defiant and I was like listen I don't want I don't want to stop you but if it works really well how are we going to scale this up yeah and he said oh I didn't think about that and I said well we're here to help you yeah um, and we'll help you scale it up and yeah. if it works we can put it right across all the hard courses in the university yeah so it was about them change their mindset, not seeing IT as the people who had the stick and had the power to turn things on and off. Yeah. But but who were working there to to achieve their outcomes yeah. rather than just the outcomes of the IT office.
0: Uh, it's wonderful. And obviously, cybersecurity is a, a, c- a critical consideration here. So yeah, I mean, it's tough enough, isn't it? And obviously, being a CIO of a major university and in, in these current times, um, yeah, it, it must be something that, um, that plays on your mind.
3: Um, yeah, cybersecurity keeps me awake most nights. Um, in the university sector, it's way harder than in the commercial sector. Mm. In the commercial sector, you have, Hard boundaries that you can defend. Yeah. Um, in the university sector, it's, it's open by nature. Yes. So you know, um, we we have people coming on campus with uh, bring their own devices. We we collaborate with international, right across every sort of border. So it's really hard to whitelist anything or close down our our boundaries. Yeah. So for me, it's um, it, it, my see my CISOs are very stressed. <laughs> but but very innovative because because we can't we can't be the stick that always shuts them down. Yeah. But we have to make sure there's no data leakage. We have to make sure you know there's no hacking coming in from state-based agencies. I mean we we're at Flinders University. We're dealing with developing a COVID, va- COVID vaccine. So yeah. we know we've been targets of state-based agencies. So yeah. those yeah. sorts of things. You know you wouldn't think that you a few years ago that you'd be saying... Someone's trying to hack you from a particular country, yeah. and it's um, sanctioned by the state, but we're in a very different world now.
0: Well, it sounds, certainly sounds like you've got your work cut out for you. Kerry, thanks so much for joining us on the show, and we look forward to welcoming you back again soon.
3: Thanks, David. It's been great to be here.
0: Awesome. Our final guest on this episode of the CIO show is Andrew Lawrence, who's CIO with Australian challenger at Telco Superloop. Andrew, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks, David. Thanks for having me today.
0: Great. Look, what have been your experiences managing the growth of shadow IT at Superloop?
4: Uh, look, I think shadow IT in, in general is a, I guess, I don't like it as a term, it's, it's a, one that doesn't sit really well with me. I think ultimately shadow IT is a is a poor reflection of technology. It's it's a failing of IT to, That's a to do its statement. job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think it is. I mean, ultimately, if IT is, is such a roadblock inside a business that the business decides to move faster than technology, then mm. I think um, fundamentally technology's failed, right?
0: Right. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah.
4: I mean, look, there's there's, there's lots of positives and negatives to, to allowing a business to, to create their own adventure when it comes to IT and technology. I mean, it is, obviously it you it have- to that
0: way, isn't it? Choose your own adventure.
4: I, I feel like it is. It's like one of those books you used to get as a kid, right? Yeah. Where you have yeah. the choose your own adventure. You know, flip yeah. the page 45 to see what happens next.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, the, guess, and the CEO has no idea what adventure people are choosing.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you don't get to see, you don't get to flick back to page 20 to to choose a different adventure, right? (laughs) Yeah. Once you've
0: committed, you're there.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, when they, when people decide to choose their own adventure, you know, they get that flexibility. They get to, to choose what vendors they want to use and and they get to choose how fast they want to consume, um, different services. But ultimately, you know, I think the negatives at the moment, when I look at, when I look at it on balance, they definitely outweigh the, the positives you think so? Um, I, I do and, yeah. and i think any company that that's been through sort of integration or growth or since any real serious growth yeah. will probably see that yeah. uh, larger really well established companies and i've spent you know quite a bit of time in my career uh working for financial services and, and investment banking specifically and you know those companies those style of companies have lots of governance lots of regulation it's much harder to have a shadow it occur and, and when it does you know it's um it's harder to get reimbursed for the the dodgy Amazon subscription, right? That you that you you're, you're trying to push out there. But yeah. at smaller companies that are growing, you know, it's almost inevitable that you're going to have somebody who wants to pivot really quickly, yeah. and they're going to go out there with their credit card and just, and just buy something. Sure. I think technology needs to be able to support that, right? They need to, not to the nth degree, but you know, you need to be able to support that and not have those negatives drag through. And you know. Cost duplication, I think, is one of those things. And when you you know, when you do a bunch of integration you see that obviously everyone buys from the same twelve vendors, so you need to go and sort of drag those costs back into sort of one grouping, yeah. um, so you're not duplicating your costs everywhere. Um but the, the the piece that's quite hard to manage from from my perspective anyway, when you have a lot of business driven IT decisions, is just budgeting and forecasting, right? Yeah. When you have five teams that all need to go off and, or want to go off and buy something, they're own accord apart from the duplication where they might all choose the same thing. Right. Um, you know, you've got that budgeting element where you turn around at the end of the year and you say, right, well, how much do we spend on SaaS services or cloud services this year? Um, and, and I guess the answer is unknown. until <laughs> so you do the record, right.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I guess, I guess the other thing really is that if you have, um, a situation, I'm not saying this is your situation, but if you have a situation where you have a lot of staff that are going rogue, choosing their own invention, I love that expression, you're potentially in a situation where people aren't actually using the technology that you've invested in. So it kind of screws the whole ROI uh, scenario, right?
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that just means, you know, IT are off doing one thing and the business are off doing something separate. Yeah. Um, and you're, still, and, and, sp- and you're no. still
0: spending on stuff that's, you know, perhaps being you know, ignored or you know, underutilised.
4: Absolutely, absolutely, and, and look, we we do pretty well here, um, and we've we've sort of ushered the business away from doing that at the moment. We we have central sort of control, I guess, over uh, over SaaS services, um, and that's that's very intentional. You know, depending on the business, you know, we're, we're governed by a bunch of regulation uh, both domestically and internationally. So, yeah. you know, we we absolutely make sure that we have control over that. Yeah. But we also like to sort of push the business to to help make those decisions. Right? It's not. Just because we are the technology sort of department, or we're the technology part of the business, doesn't mean we know absolutely everything about every SaaS service that's being born every other day. So um, the business does still push, you know, to make good decisions, but you know, we we are there to help support them, right? And and that's back to that success piece, right? If you if you as technology aren't there to support the business, and you, you your business is moving faster than you are, I think that's a Really, a really interesting thought (laughs) to have the business moving faster than technology. It's it's almost exclusively the other way around, um, in my experience. But to have the business move faster than you, I think you just need to uh, play catch up, really.
0: But of of course, you know, and this has been discussed extensively over the last couple of years. The the situation really is that people are um, are coming to work with the same expectations that they have of their social media apps. That's what's driving it, isn't it? This is what this is. Yeah. And to, to to your point about, you know, the business moving faster than IT. This is really what's doing it. And it's like it's Facebook's fault <laughs> or somebody.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's interesting. You go back, go back twenty years now, and you would come to work, and your the technology you have at work would be far more advanced than the technology you have at home. Indeed, and, and you're right. It's absolutely the other way around. In yeah. some instances, you come to work, and you're like, ah. Oh, Can't believe I have to work on this, this, this laptop. (laughs) It's, uh, it's not as good as the one I have at home or or the one that I use, you know, my kids use or whatever it is. So yeah, there, there is that definitely a, that's definitely been around or flipped on its head a little bit. Um, when it comes to consuming services and we see a lot of, a lot of people come in and say, well, I use this personally and I really like it. It might be Grammarly or it might be Slack or whatever it is. And, you know, if it, if it's right for the business and it doesn't introduce any undue risk that we don't, we don't want to accept, then, Absolutely, help the business roll it out and, and push it out. And then it's once it's in, it's kind of in for everyone as too, right? And you have to assume that if you get one or two requests for the same thing, that it's probably going to get five or six more in the next couple of months. So yeah. you know, you to review it once, you know, make a decision if it's good for the business or not, and then and then off you go. And I think the key there is to making a quick decision, and having a having a really simple framework the business can follow to be able to request something new and 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 not. Have a six week delay where we think about whether or not we're going to do it and have a really easy checklist we can roll through and say, yep, we can do that, no worries, and not be seen as that, that roadblock. Mm. But I mean, some of the, the, I guess, some of the things that we try and do to, to help educate the business is just sort of remind them of the pitfalls yeah. um, of doing it on their own. And, you know, we could talk about data security to the end of the day, but, you know, there's a whole. Hey, everyone, a whole everyone else is, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a whole range of data security issues. I think everyone's pretty well across them. But, I mean, if you just look at the terms and conditions, right, um, and and you pick on that for for a few minutes, you know, understanding where the data sits and then, you know, that dovetails quite quickly into the privacy principles. Um, Because, let's face it, based on the cost of cloud services in Australia, if you're delivering a SaaS service, it's probably overseas, um, unless you absolutely tick the box saying, I want it in Australia, and then you're going to pay more. Um, So you're looking across order disclosure of data straight away and then from there you know you need to figure out if you're in the disclosure bucket or the use bucket so if your data is being used by that third party or if you are disclosing it to them and then once you get sort of from there you need to understand who owns the data who's got access to it who's got the intellectual property rights to that that data and there's just a, a whole sort of range of things that you would normally cover off in a quick you know recce of the terms and conditions to make sure that that the services fit for purpose mm. and if the business aren't doing that and let's face it everyone's just clicking next 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 right when they <laughs> get that page except for the, the guys in it who, who sit down and read it mm. you know if you don't read it you'll never know uh and i think that's the big risk there right yeah. um so i think my my message to our our teams anyway is you know just give us the five minutes to read the <laughs> to read the sending edition yeah. then we can make a really a really easy and quick decision on whether or not that's the, the right thing for us to be doing and then Yeah, we'll
0: talk about budgets after that right yeah well Andrew listen to it seems to be almost an admission on your part that one this isn't going to change people are going to seek to choose their own adventure and two probably even most importantly that the onus is on CIOs to create the frameworks in order to you know manage this and control it
4: absolutely um you know the business the business is the is the business Mm -hmm. and the the technology function is there to support the business, right? I mean, yeah. we're, we're a technology company and we are there to support the technology business, but independently, we are just there to support the business and make sure they're successful. Yeah. Um, and if we're not doing that again, right? Then, then what is our role really? And if we push that role back into their teams to do it instead of us, then, you know, we're duplicating functions and right. And then that's that extra work and headcount. And, you know, that just doesn't, just doesn't work out unless you're a, a rather small business, I guess. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, it's on technology.
0: And do you think being a uh, being a carrier? I mean, obviously, Superloops not only a, a carrier, but you're one of the newer sort of you know ch- challenger carriers in Australia. You have a very um, a fairly you know young staff, and you um, you know, present yourselves as a very young, progressive organisation. Do you think that's that's created that's meant that this particular issue, shadow IT, has loomed larger for you?
4: No, I think. Probably the opposite, um, because we have a lot of younger, younger, more tech savvy people, and that's just by nature of the business. Mm. They kind of understand those inherent pieces, I and mean, they're quicker to move to want the services. Mm. But then, when you say to them, "Hey, we need to do these data security checks and these cyber security checks and these sort of terms and condition checks," they understand fundamentally that okay, fair enough, it's a cloud service; it's going to be overseas. Mm. You know, we should give you give you the time to to make sure it's okay, and we're not. We're not introducing a problem to the business, yeah. so I think they they're okay with that. As as a telco, like I said, we've, we're under sort of some extra regulations. Mm-hmm. So we're – and as a I guess a native security focused telco as well. So we we kind of put it out there that we do a lot of security ourselves. Uh, we have a different part of the business called uh, CyberHound, which puts cyber security appliances into schools and and, and different places and universities. Right. So. We obviously quite focused on that element as well. Um, so I think, you know, whilst we have a, a vested interest in the security piece, any company that has, you know, a, over a certain size of us been through MA, you know, they will absolutely have an appreciation of the, of the shadow IT
0: Sure, sure. Look, I, 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 I love your um, your reference to people choosing their own adventure. Obviously, a lot more adventures to come, and good luck with yours. Thanks for, so much for joining us on the show. We look forward to having you back again soon. No worries. thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, we hope you enjoyed it. Coming up in our next episode, we come back to that old chestnut of the skills shortage. Is it still a big thing in Australia? Are we really worse off than other developed countries? What needs to be done? Will encouraging more women to enter IT help address the problem? And how do Australian CIOs view the current crop of candidates? Our employers, that's you, flexible enough in considering candidates that might not tick every box, yet show potential to become ideal candidates once on the job. We hope you can join us.